Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Canaan. I'm one of the pastors of Pillar. Go ahead and open up in your copy of God's Word to Galatians chapter 6, as we're going to continue in the series in, in the book of Galatians. While you're turning there, you know, one of my responsibilities as a father is to bring my kids to school every morning, right? And so we wake up early. I bring my kids to school in the morning. And this particular morning, sometimes we have to sit there and wait for the car line to open up because, you know, if you're too late, you're way in the back. And if you're too early, you got to run around the block a bunch of times. So you got to get there right at the right time. And sometimes we're right there and we got to wait a few minutes. And before we're going in, uh, sometimes Google will send me the notification of the, the snapshot of the day or th on this date five years ago. I don't know if y'all get those, but I get them. And I opened it up. And while the kids are sitting there trying to name all the drivers driving by, I looked at it and I saw my girls running around in diapers, eating Legos, spilling stuff. It was one of those, it was one of those time warp moments. You ever have a time warp moment where like, maybe you, you saw the house you grew up in a long time ago? And you're just like, whoa. Or you, or maybe you walked the halls of the elementary school that you went to when you, when you were really young. And it just brings you back to a place, like a nostalgic place. So I had one of those time warp moments, and it brought me back. And then I looked up, and I had two thoughts. And my first thought was, what happened to y'all? Y'all used to be so cute. <laughs> and now y'all smell like adults. But the second thought sobered me. My second thought was, if I blink again, I won't be sitting in a car at Carline. I'll be sitting in a cab of a U-Haul bringing my kids to college. Yeah. And I realized how fast time flies. Time moves at an amazing pace, faster than what we realize. And we only have so much time to influence the people around us, to teach the people around us, to love the people around us. You ever have that moment where you're with your group of friends and then the next morning you get a phone call that one of them died? I literally have had that moment and I know some of you have. And then you realize how short life is. And you realize how you didn't capitalize with the time you did have with those people. Scripture, scripture says this in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. And here's what wisdom looks like. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. The days are finite. You ever experienced the speed of time and regretted the lack of productivity? You look back at a circumstance, a scenario, a time frame, and you're like, if I was just more proactive, if I was just more involved, if I was more there, then I could have spoken into it. I could have changed it. I could have been effective in some way. Could have made more of a difference in that situation. So I know that's true for me, and I think it's true for some of you. And by God's grace, because of that reality, God has a word for those people who are like me and like you who have mishandled time. 
didn't capitalize on time. Then he says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, therefore, this is our text. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Last Sunday, God, through the Apostle Paul, gave us a call to endure. He called us to not grow weary in doing good. And he told us that oftentimes our perceived understanding of how fast group or how fast fruit grows can be warped. We always have a mishandlement with time. Fruit's supposed to grow fast, but it doesn't. And this is what he told us because he knows us. He says, let us not get tired of doing good. Now, why would Paul tell us not to get tired of doing good? Because he knows we're going to get tired of doing good, right? And so he tells you, don't get tired. I know you're expecting something. You're thinking that something's supposed to happen faster, different. But he's like, don't grow weary. Don't get tired of doing good. And then he says this, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. There's a promise in the text that God has ordained that if we press forward in doing good and we don't give up in that pursuit, then at some way, some shape, some form, we will reap the fruit of the well-doing, of the good that we're pursuing. In other words, Paul is encouraging us in, in last week's verse to press on in our desire to bless and transform our community. He's telling us to press on in our battle for emotional freedom and health. He's telling us to press on striving toward whatever goal that is that you've set. But understand that these things are baby steps. You ever try to do financial freedom with Dave Ramsey? What's he call his, his few steps? The baby steps, right? This is, this is what we think. We think we're supposed to have that. And we're supposed to be millionaires overnight. More money, more problems. Y'all don't want that millionaire life. But a couple grand would be nice, right? Just a little, a little something. But it's never that. In fact, last night, this isn't even, see, this is how God. Last night, I'm with some friends, and we're watching this financial show on YouTube. And it's funny. This is what the statistics say, that if you do somehow attain a whole lot in a short amount of time, you'll probably lose that whole lot in the same amount of time in which you got it. And that's because you haven't developed the habits necessary to cultivate and maintain the thing that you got. And so oftentimes we're chasing some kind of a healing or some kind of growth or some kind of something. But we haven't cultivated the habits to maintain the growth that we've had. And then we mishandle it. And we find ourselves back in the same situation all over again. Rather than celebrating the baby step victories, the baby step things. And as you do the baby steps, you develop the habits. And as you develop the habits, it becomes a part of your person and your character. And when it's a person, part of your character, it never leaves. It doesn't go away. It just is you. Cultivation takes time. The arboretum took time to chisel and carve and grow. And Paul tells us, don't give up. At the proper time, Whenever God deems that proper time, we'll reap. As I was reading this verse and last week's verse, as I was prepping, I thought of Martin Luther King Jr. He's the, he, just, he flew to my mind. I have great admiration for him and how much he embodied this reality. King didn't grow weary to the point of stopping in his well-doing. 
and his good that he pursued ultimately ended his life. Did he get to see some of the fruit of, his, of him and others' labors that labored alongside of him? Yes, but who's the beneficiaries of the majority of his fruit? We are. We're still plucking fruit from King's tree. Because he didn't grow weary and well-doing, not only did he get to see some change, voting rights were, 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 were amended around... He was a big part. He got to see that. He got to watch the president sign documentation. But beloved, we are here together as an eclectic looking group because in large part, somebody didn't grow weary in their well-doing. And we're plucking the fruit off the tree today. What does that mean? Our well-doing is going to produce. We may not see all the fruit we want to see in it. It may take a generation or three. But fruit is coming. And that gives me juice. It gives me hope. As I look at the block, I'm like, bro, fruit's coming. I'm going to try this. If this don't work, I'm going to try that. If that don't work, we're going to retool and try this. But the give up is not an option. Because the good that we're chasing, God says, we shall reap in his proper time. Maybe my job is just to inspire the person who does bring the change. Maybe that's all we do here. Maybe God erected this whole entity just so that one person could be the one that sparked the change that was necessary. Praise God if that's the case. Now, if Sunday's passage was a call for endurance, this week's passage is a call for urgency. Look what it says in verse 10, just the first few lines. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Now, when we look at this verse, it says, as we have opportunity, these words don't seem to engender urgency. It almost seems to speak of the opposite of urgency, right? It kind of like the, the leftovers. Well, do this, but as you have time, if you have some extra leftover time, you can do something else. But that, if you read the passage for all it's worth and read it in context, you actually see he's not talking about, well, if you're finished doing this and you have opportunity to do that, you can do that. He's basically telling us since we have, since we possess the reality of opportunity, that's what he's communicating there. He's saying since opportunity exists as we have it, because we have it. And then if you read the, the whole passage, which you're not going to do this morning, we're going to see a subtle hint of the reality that opportunity won't always be there for us. And so he's saying since it's there. It won't always be. I need to urge you to do something while you have it. Because at some point it will be gone. You guys ever, you guys heard the phrase and you know it? You don't know what you have until it's, it's the, it's the same reality of opportunity. You, you don't realize how important it is while you have it until you don't. He says, though we, that we ought not squander opportunity, to do good because opportunities won't last. Now, before we continue looking at the passage, there are two kind of points of application that kind of, kind of, kind of surfaced from just this, this, this text right here. And they're this. One is this. I want us to start to really think and consider in what ways do we tend to squander opportunity? Because I think most of us are professional opportunity squanderers. In what ways do you squander opportunity? Number one way, or at least this is my way, fear. Not fear because I'm shook. Fear that it's going to disrupt my day. Fear that, oh, if I do this, then that means I got to end up doing that. 
and I don't want anything disrupting my day. And so I'm going to go ahead and let this opportunity pass so somebody else figures it out. Some of us are just fickle in nature. Some of us, this is some, some of us, some of the opportunities we squander away through pride because the opportunity isn't the way that we think it should be done. And so because it's not being done the way we think it should be done, we don't participate, show our love or support to the thing. Some of us are just by nature shaky people. The littlest throw off in your day throws you all the way off. And so you're like, ah, I can't. If I just get out of routine just a little bit, I can't. Some of us wear the hat, the B hat. I don't mean Boston. That's the good hat. I mean the bad B hat. The hat of busyness. Your calendar's so full. Man, I, got, I, would, I would love to help you, bro, but I got to boom, 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 boom. This is some of us, too. Some of us are too disorganized in life to be able to actually help somebody with any fidelity. You want to help. You got good intentions, but your helping ends up hurting because you never sit down to think through, well, how do I help this person beyond my presence? And others of us are too organized because, like I said, it, it'll throw off our day. So the first thing is, I was, what way do you stifle the good opportunities that God sends your way? Sometimes he sends them and you know he's sending it and you be praying like, God, God please don't let me see. I don't want to see that. That happens. God, let me be impactful today. And as you're driving down the street, you see somebody in need and you're like, oh, I want to hope somebody help. This is, this, is, this is part of the second point. If you want to do good, your heart posture has to be up for it. Your eyes and your ears got to be attentive to opportunities cry. And your spirit needs to be trained to recognize the difference between selfish ambition and mutual benefit. And let me talk about that for a second. Selfish ambition is when you do good to be seen by others. All of us do that. All of us do that somewhere. We do good so that others can see our good. I know I do it. I know many of you do it. Mutual benefit is we do good, firstly, because it helps that person. Secondly, it feels good to do good. But notice the order. I'm helping them, whether it feels good or not. Secondary benefit, oh, I actually like helping people. Selfish ambition initiates and maintains relationships because it profits them something. This is real in the church world. Just a day ago, we got to bless and hang out with the community over at Village Creek. And I got to talking with some of the people around in and around the area. And you could tell they were waiting for the bait and switch. Y'all came out here with some food to hang out. What y'all want from us? Now, why would they get the impression that we want something from them? Because it's kind of normative that if we go to serve you, hey, um, you should come to church. Hey, um, you should... Or if you get a phone call from one of your pastors, it may not be because you're not giving. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. How about we just want to check to see how you're doing? It's almost like there's a built-in skepticism because that's the reality of life we live in. Because usually people only come to us for something. You know how I know y'all do that? Because I catch myself doing it. 
Somebody be like, hey, can you call so-and-so for something? I'm like, ooh, I ain't talked to so-and-so in about 15 years. And when I did, every time I do it, just get something. Dang. Y'all had that feeling? Yeah, buddy. Hard. Now, we can't be overly sensitive. Sometimes there's situations, but mutual benefit has to do with mutual love and transparency and a true desire that that person is doing well. There's receiving, there's giving in a mutual benefit relationship. What I want us to be doing is always praying for discernment about the good that we're doing and always have open eyes for an opportunity to, to do good because the opportunities, beloved, won't always be there. Now, this begs the question, what's the good that we have to do? Now, I thought about these illustrations. When I was a kid, I remember seeing other kids get bullied at the lunch table. I remember seeing this and I did nothing. Y'all ever see that? Maybe that was you. Kids getting bullied at the lunch table and everybody else standing around watching and laughing. And here I am standing watching and laughing along with them. And I sit back and I think, man, what could I have done to stop that situation, to, to change that person's life? I know one individual, that kid got some serious, serious problems to, uh, today. And I can't help but think, man, we played a huge role in that. Some of us are seeing injustice and prejudicial treatment at our workplace, and we're scared to speak up because we don't want to lose our own jobs. I was thinking about singles, and I, and I, and I texted a couple singles this week, and I was like, what is the, what's a unique thing that only singles have or can do that marrieds cannot or couples don't necessarily have? What's the, the currency that they may have? And both of the individuals I, I, I kind of messaged sent me the same concept. So instead of sharing the concept, I'm going to share the scripture behind the concept. 1 Corinthians 7. He's speaking, about, he's speaking to those unmarried. He said, I don't want you to be without concerns. I'm sorry, I want you to be without concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. And, the interests of, and his interests are, key word, divided. There's a unique singularity of thought for those who are not in a marriage relationship. And then Paul says, the unmarried woman or the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord so that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. The concept that was relayed to me was, we got a little bit more time. Now, for us married, we got to remember, they ain't got that much more time. We got built-in community. They got to go chase it. And so it's not like, oh, we just go home and have community. They're like, yo, I got to find the community, right? So we always think, oh, they're single. They ain't got nothing going on. Yeah, they're trying to be community. They're trying to find that stuff. And it's hard sometimes. So pray for those around you who are single, who are looking and striving for that. But no matter the situation in life, the good that you do ought to be a reflection of God's grace in your life. Remember those fruits of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Here's the, the beauty about these things. These are not meant to merely be internal subjective realities in your life. That's what we think. If I can just 
internalize these things, then I'll be good. God builds these things in us so that they can be an overflow from our heart and our mind through our hands. God's work is not just designed to be in you. It's designed to, to flow through you and from you. This is why Paul says, therefore, as we have opportunity, therefore, since opportunity exists for us, let us work for the good of all. Now, Paul's telling us to do good, and he's telling us to work for the good of all people. He's taking a halo off. He's taking a cap off. When you see the word all, put in that bucket your enemies. We'll do good for everybody unless they, unless they make me mad. We, we automatically start sifting this mug. That's not the biblical sift. There is a sift, but that ain't it. He says, no, we're thinking about doing good for all people. But there are particular individuals within our society who need our eyes to be attentive to them. And we need to do good to them. And this is what the scripture says. Look at Isaiah 117. God says to Isaiah, learn to do what's good. So he's going to tell us what's good. What's good? What does Paul, uh, Isaiah said is good? Pursuing justice is good. Pursuing justice is inconvenient, but it's good. And so he says, pursue it. He says, correct the oppressor. I thought that wasn't the job of the people of God. Isaiah is telling the people of God to do justice and to correct the oppressor, which means if you see it, you got to say something. Because God doesn't like oppression. Defend the right to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. These are vulnerable peoples. That's the category. Our eyes are to be attentive to those who are the most vulnerable not just in your circle, but those in your society, in your neighborhood. When's the last time we spent the time serving and doing justice for these people instead of categorizing them as the needy? We see them and we go, oh yeah, there's a bunch of them that hang out over there. We've put categories on people who are in need. Instead of being amongst the people in need, like, yo, what's really good? How, why are we here? What's going on here? Why won't we do that good? Because it's inconvenient, we ain't got time on our schedule. It might demand something of you like money, time, energy, resources. And so we stay away from it and pray God send, send somebody for them. He sent you for them. Another passage. This is the Pharisees getting at Jesus about doing something good on the Sabbath. How much more value is a man than a sheep, Jesus says. He says, so it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. What's the good that Jesus did on the Sabbath? He brought health and wellness to an individual who's in need of it. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and he was restored, healthy like the other. Doing good isn't just pursuing justice and correcting the oppressor. It's also bringing health and restoration to individuals who, can, who, who are in desperate need of it. That's why I'm so glad by God's grace. He's given us a space where we can start having classes on health and on financial literacy because these things are necessary for everybody. These are common goods that all people need to benefit from. I know I need some financial literacy classes. I know I need to learn about some health. And y'all do too. And so don't the people in the community. Here's a good one. How about just blessing somebody monetarily? Jesus says, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. 
people, y'all see the, the, the word? He said lend. Lending usually means what? It comes back your way. But you're not expecting anything in return. Sounds like the principle that somebody who lends is going to reap, but he ain't reaping from the person that he lent from. It's so dope. Yo, God's word is crazy, son. Y'all, y'all be reading quick and just read right over that. No. Go out there and put some good in the world. That's God's call for us. Go out there and put some good in the world. Genuine acts of kindness are contagious. You know that, and I know that. My man Q has a saying. I don't know where he got it, but I, I heard it from him. He said, be the change you want to see. Be the change you want to see. So you walk outside. This world is so jacked up. No. Go be the change. Act, be active. Be activated. But then, beloved, it goes deeper than this, and this is where it hit home for me at least. Look what the text says. It says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good for all, but then, but then look how God categorizes things. Not ours, his. Especially for those who belong to the household of faith. Now, if we're supposed to, now there's a couple things. I want to say so much. Now, if we're supposed to do good to all, and we want our good to glorify Jesus rather than lift up our own brand, then the text is telling us that we are to, listen, we're to, sp- we're to pay special attention to how we do good to one another up in here. God said, if you want his glory to shine through your acts of good, then you do good to all, but you have to pay special attention to those who claim the faith alongside you and with you. Jesus says something similar here, and this is how I know this is where he's getting, where he's going. Jesus says this, I give you a new command. Love one another. Now, this is an internal command that Jesus is giving his disciples for his disciples and their disciples to practice. He says, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then check out what happens as a result of the church loving the church. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We shine the brightest for the glory of God when we love and do good for one another up in and around our mists. Now, there's good and there's bad. Let me give you the bad first. Here's the reality. We're quicker to cast judgment on those who are in and among us than we are to be a dispenser of grace to them. We're almost natural gossips. Not you, but you. It just flows from us. We're negligent toward one another. We're passive toward one another. We don't leap for joy to serve one another all the time. But if we're to be, but if we're to work for the good of one another, if we're to be each other's defenders and supporters, and we want to show the world the power of Christ through our unity, then we have to know each other up in here. Y'all see the implication? Here's the issue with, with, with many just church in America. The body doesn't even know the body. It's a superficial knowledge of one another. I see you. It's cool. Maybe hang out. But we don't know each other up in here. This is why we do love feast gatherings. This is why we encourage you to invite each other over your homes. This is why we have men's, women's, and youth gatherings. This is why we pray together on Sundays and Wednesdays. This is why we have group chats on the app. This is why we have and send out mail trains for everybody. This is why we do discipleship groups. This is part of the purpose of why we gather on Sunday mornings. Beloved, it's not a lack of means of connecting with people. 
If you feel lonely, it's not because there's not a means by which you can connect with other believers. There's something deeper going on in your soul and your heart. And something deeper going on in other souls that they haven't reached out. I wonder how many of us in here still feel lonely, though they've been coming to this church for a long time. That's real. How many of us want to know and be known and be seen? It's impossible to accomplish these things if we're shaky people by nature, if we're fickle by nature, if we're prideful by nature, if we're petty by nature. If we're any of those things that stifle good opportunity by nature, then we'll never have the unity of the body that glorifies Jesus and lets the whole world know that we are Jesus' disciples because they're seeing how we love one another. I'll tell you what God wants for you. He wants you to be known amongst the body of believers. That's what God wants for you. He wants you to be known. He wants you to know. He wants you to have an intimate relationship with other believers in and around you, especially in this place. That's what he wants. And he gave his son to ensure that there's no dividing line, dividing wall between us. We are unified in his eye, but for some reason, it's not touching the ground. When we think about what the person of Jesus has done, he did the ultimate good. Jesus showed us how to do good for all and how to do good for the household of faith. When we think about Jesus doing good for all, he literally displayed to the world firsthand what compassion and love look like. When we look at Jesus doing good for all, he spoke truth and life towards lies and death. He challenged hypocritical power. And that's when people say, it gave me mad. Well, Jesus didn't talk to them. Yes, he did. He challenged hypocritical power all the time. And he graced humanity. You ever think about this? God graced humanity just by showing up amongst humanity. That's a grace by itself. He did good works for all people, but he did something special for the household of faith. He built the household of faith by opening our eyes and gifting us faith. He paid with his life to transfer people from the, domain, from the domain of darkness to the, the glorious kingdom of his beloved son. He redeems the household of slave, the household of faith from slavery to sin unto freedom in Christ. And he, and he redeems us from the consequences of sin unto the benefits of adopted children. What are the benefits of being an, an adopted child of God? You get to know you get to be known, you get to love, you get to be loved, you get to be brought into an intimate relationship with Jesus. We get to be set free from the power of sin. We get to love one another up in here. But if we're not feeling connected, maybe we're squandering opportunity to do good with and for one another. I want to tell you of something that's the ultimate good. The ultimate good is the good news. And this is the best thing that you can do for anybody is to tell them and display for them this truth. Walk up to somebody and let them know that they are fearfully and wonderfully made in the sight that God has intricately and intentionally created them, that they are no mistake. You ever share the gospel with somebody and lead with telling them they're not a mistake? Because maybe their whole life they felt like they were inconvenienced and they were a mistake. 
That's how I feel all the time. But the scripture says, you're not a mistake, baby. You are fearfully made. You are wonderfully made. You are thought of in the mind of God before you were even born. He knit you together on purpose. But something happened to you. Something happened to me. And that thing is called sin. And it's ravaged your relationship with God and it's ravaged your relationship with others. Is it true? Yes, it's true. No one will deny it. And this thing called sin is going to destroy you. And it's the very reality that separates you from God and from people. And God says that the wages of that sin is death. You guys know what death is? Loosely defined, it means separation. When you die on this world, you're separated from it. When you die spiritually, you're separated from God. Remember on this day that you eat of that fruit, you shall die? They didn't die that day, physically. But what happened? God separated himself from from Adam and Eve. As a result of the sin that you live in, you're experiencing brokenness, you're experiencing loneliness, addiction, pain, shame, and death. Right? And they're going to say, yeah. And then you get to give them the greatest news. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Sorry, every time I see that verse, it hit me. You want to tell them that they can be saved from death and sin's consequences by entrusting their life to Jesus. This is the ultimate good news for any of us. So after you do good, you tell them the good news. You tell them that salvation is found in no one else, for by the name of Jesus All mankind, whoever calls upon him, shall be saved. Now, here's the reality. Many of us in here already believe in Jesus in such a way that he has redeemed our soul, but we're still bound and trapped by sin and shame. So this is what I want to do. I just want us to take a few minutes to close our eyes and confess our sin and shame to Jesus to name it and hold it high to him and beg him to cleanse us and to wipe it away, to do us a solid and help us.